spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Well, good morning and thanks so much for starting off your week with us. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, our focus shifts over to Honolulu Hale, where there are a number of issues and bills that are before the city council, and we're going to get an update from someone who's navigating through all of it. Yeah, we are so lucky this morning to be joined by Honolulu City Council Chair Tommy Waters. Uh, he obviously is uh, navigating all of this, and he is going to lead us on our conversation this morning. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Good morning. Let's start with some action that was just uh, completed by the council and made a lot of news, and that is Bill 41. Uh, this one, uh, somewhat controversial, a lot of feelings, a lot of passion on both sides on this issue. But tell us about Bill 41 and what you hope it accomplishes. So Bill 41 deals with short-term rentals. You know, just prior to the pandemic, we had 10 million visitors to Hawaii. And we only have the accommodations for 7 million in our resort zones and hotels. So that means 3 million people are in our residential neighborhoods. And we've gotten so many complaints in certain high, uh, high areas like Kailua and Waimanalo and Maui. Well, excuse me. Every island is dealing with this, but in Honolulu, especially Kailua and Waimanalo. And even as far as Hawaii Kai and IEA and Pro City and the North Shore. So we really wanted to tap down on that, put these short-term rentals back into long-term rentals for local people. We all know there's a housing shortage here on Oahu. And we believe that Bill 41 go, will go a long way to getting these units back into, um, into the market for, for local residents. Do you believe that the penalties for those violators are uh, strong enough and strict enough? And, and can you speak a little more about the enforcement overall, about how the city plans to deal with some of the violators who may simply choose to continue to rent out these homes for short-term rentals? Well, the fines are going to be really, really high, right? And you cannot, the key here, though, is you actually need a permit. The city never required a permit before, so you can't even advertise unless you have a permit. And by the way, in order to get a permit, you gotta fill out an application. You gotta attest that you're gonna follow certain rules. And the main thing here is that we define what short-term is. A short-term rental is anything less than 90 days. Anything less than 90 days is not allowable. And there's a clear, bright line. And I think that was the significance of Bill 41. Prior to Bill 41, we were uh, using Bill 89, which we passed a few years ago, which defined short-term rentals as anything less than 30 days. And you didn't actually need a permit as long as you were in a resort area um, or you had a non-conforming use certificate. But of course, it was too difficult to tell who was in a resort area, who was not in a resort area based on your advertisement on these 
uh, platform. So the number one thing is gonna be you need an actual permit and you get a permit number assigned to you and you cannot advertise unless you have a permit. So that, that's the, the key thing about Bill 41 that we the city hasn't done before in the past. I wanna uh, follow up on that, bring in Jeff's question here. He says, how will you enforce illegal rentals? Of course, the city council in the past uh, had passed measures to try to attempt to control illegal vacation rentals, but really the enforcement uh, power was not there. What's different this time? Like I said, you couldn't advertise, well, you could advertise without a permit. Now you need a permit. So that's gonna cut down significantly, I believe, these illegal short-term rentals because you simply can't advertise. Now, of course, there's going to be folks who are going to be able to slip through the cracks because they have, you know, their own network out there through email and whatnot. And that's going to be the more difficult part. So what we're, we're, we're proposing is beefing up DPP, the Department of Permanent Planning, get folks specifically assigned to short-term rentals to do these investigations. And of course, I've always said, you know, it's not rocket science. I believe what we need to do is make a reservations in one of these legal rentals, show up and grab the keys and you hit somebody with their, their violation. It's, it's as simple as that. And, but we need manpower, uh, people power to get out there and do that without the actual investigators doing it. I mean, it's almost fruitless. That's why the, um, the advertisement portion of this law is so important, right? People want to know when they're coming to visit that they got a place to stay and it's reserved when they get here. But if they can't go online and reserve a spot, then, then that's going to be a problem. And hopefully that's disruptive enough to cut down on these illegal short-term rentals. I want to shift gears because we do have a number of topics that we want to get to and now focusing on the topic of Red Hill. Of course, this is uh, has been an issue for some time now and we heard from early ernie lao on this program and others uh, stating about the urgency for conservation of water especially as we head into these summer months what are your thoughts uh, about this specifically in an area that you represent in your district from honolulu to hawaii kai uh, what are some of the measures that you believe can be taken to help with some what is projected to be this water shortage as we head into the summer months no i know and thank you for bringing that up it's terrible terrible that the Navy has has not defueled these tanks already. You know, that, that's a real problem. And every day that we have fuel in these tanks, there's a risk that it's gonna be further contaminated. Part of the problem, as I understand it, is the transmission lines also from the old tanks down into Pearl Harbor are still a problem. That needs to be taken care of. Having said that, what I'm proposing is $25 million in this year's budget using the American Rescue Plan, which is federal dollars, to, to dig new wells. Because what we're told is that these, these our halava shaft, especially if we start drawing water out of the halava shaft and there's fuel contaminating our shaft and the transmission lines all the way to Hawaii Kai, we'll never be able to get that fuel out. So we need to dig new wells. And ultimately, I think we should get the federal government to pay for these new wells. But we can't wait for that. We need action and we need action now. And that's why I'm proposing $25 million using federal funds to dig these new wells so that we don't, well, it's gonna take a little while to dig these wells, by the way. We have to be real about this. And we need to start as soon as possible. 
And that's what I'm proposing we do. Uh, even if we do dig those new wells and you are successful in finding new water sources, as you did note, there will be an interim period where we don't have all the water we need. Ernie Lau has said that that could mean that certain developments don't get their permits. Of course, we know that all ties back to housing. Um, and that is uh, uh, the number one issue for so many folks in our community. What do you think about uh, giving some projects priority over others? Uh, you know, would, would you support perhaps giving affordable housing a permit over a luxury development? How would that actually work? What are your thoughts on that? No, thank you. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I'm thinking. If, if we have to ration water and ration these permits, the number one priority should be to take care of local people, right? We want to make sure our local residents are taken care of first. And that means our homes first, right? Um, now, having said that, if, if we have to prioritize building permits, they should be prioritized with, with local, um, local affordable housing units. Absolutely. Rather than the luxury units, right? Luxury units are oftentimes sold to foreign investors and mainland investors who don't even live here. So we should not be putting them before local residents, not one iota. And, you know, with this proposal that you are introducing or asking for, you know, using these federal dollars to help to look for new wells and resources, uh, the question also comes up about who's going to help to pay for overall the maintenance issues that uh, currently exist with Red Hill and getting that done, as well as the construction of these new wells. Say there is uh, another source that is able to be found and they need more additional funding moving forward. Uh, where do you think this funding should come from? Is this something that you will continue to ask maybe federal dollars to come in? Or do you think this is more uh, something that the city would also have to kick in and, and allocate out of part of the budget? At this point, the taxpayers of Honolulu are going to be forced to pay for it. And I think that's absolutely wrong. Our federal partners should kick in some money. The Navy is directly responsible for this mess that we're in. The Navy should pony up. And I believe our federal delegation is working hard to get federal dollars um, to get that done. I believe Senator Schatz got a billion dollars already um, towards that end. But ultimately, it wasn't our mistake. This wasn't uh, Ernie Lau and the Board of Water Supply that made a mistake. This came from the federal government, and they should help us, right? It's all about working together, and I believe they will ultimately do the right thing but we got to keep the pressure on. We got to keep talking to the president. We got to keep talking to our federal delegation. We got to keep talking to um, our, our fellow senators and representatives in, in Washington to make sure they understand that we live on an island and water is finite. Although we are looking at building a desalinization plant, but that's still years from now. That's not going to happen for another five to 10 years. We need clean water now, and that means draining those tanks as quickly and safely as possible and helping us pay for it. You, you know, know, sorry, one of the ways perhaps to force your that hand is, uh, is of course, there are a number of federal leases that are coming up uh, in regards to, you know, the Pentagon and, uh, you know, partners there that get to use these lands in Hawaii. Do you think that Hawaii should use those leases as leverage to uh, to force this payment? So I and my vice chair, Esther Kia Aina, wrote a letter to President Biden 
pointing out exactly that, that we were happy to be partners. We're happy to work with the federal government. We understand that this is a strategic point in the Pacific, but they also need to understand that people are, are very distrustful unless the federal government does their part. So, um, yes, I, I think that could be a tool. You got to be really, really careful, though, right? Because the federal government does provide a lot of help to, to us here in Hawaii, and we don't want to uh, burn those bridges, so to speak. But I think, really, just being honest, being fair, and, and, and being, being compassionate, right, and working together, I think we can convince our federal counterparts to do the right thing and, and help with this really, really dangerous problem that we're now facing. Another issue that continues to be something that the city council will have to face and, and deal with, members have been dealing with for some time now, is homelessness. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on the core program, a new program that has been set up by the city under this new administration. Your thoughts on how things are going there and further expansion to solve this problem. No, CORE is great. And I've called CORE on a few occasions where in my district we had homeless folks who needed help. And CORE was right there and they provided help. However, that's only one piece of the puzzle. We really, one piece of the pie, really. We really need to build places for people to live, right? We need to get, have bed space and transitional homes. One of the things that I'm proposing is $3 million, again, using federal dollars, $3 million for stabilization beds that can provide dual diagnosis and treatment. Dual diagnosis is when you have co-occurring co co disorders, that of substance abuse and mental health problems, right? It's a very specific diagnosis and treatable with medication. But the idea is we need the bed space for folks to get into these transitional shelters and get the medical help that they need because you actually need a doctor to prescribe antipsychotic medication. And by the way, my years of working as a public defender, I saw how when someone was arrested who came into the Hawaii State Hospital or Kikela Ward at Queens Hospital and got the medication that they needed, it works. But unless we have these stabilization beds where we can provide this service, CORE is just one piece. We need to start with CORE, but get them into these stabilization beds. Um, also, I'm proposing $15 million, again, using federal dollars to get the nonprofits to help out here, right? We have a lot of Section 8 vouchers, but folks who are homeless have been homeless for years, right? It's, it's a chronic problem, and they have no idea how to transition into long-term housing. Well, this is where this $15 million would come in, having the nonprofits out in the community, helping folks transition using Section 8 vouchers. Again, and these are these are federally funded vouchers, right? This is a no cost to our, our Honolulu taxpayers. Um, and, and really the idea is to get people off the street and into a safe environment. And it's worth the money spent in my mind to do it. People want us to do the right thing when it comes to homeless folks. Just sweeping them from one neighborhood to the, the next is not going to work. 
you know, I support what the mayor is doing in Chinatown and I support the residents of Chinatown. But guess what? All the folks from Chinatown are going into the neighbor communities, including Waikiki, where I represent. Um, I did talk to the prosecutor and we were looking at a weed and seed in Waikiki next. And again, this is a perfect use of federal dollars, right? You want to not only weed people out of these areas, but seed them, meaning growing them uh, and, and putting them in a place where they can live and thrive and get the treatment that they need. I want to follow up on that stabilization bed concept. Are you proposing building a new facility or, uh, you know, expanding existing shelter space into a different kind of a system? What, what exactly would you use that $3 million for? You know, years ago, I was the co-chair of the Joint House Senate Task Force on Ice and Drug Abatement. And what we did was we put money into treatment beds. There are treatment beds and treatment facilities already out there who treat mental illness and treat substance abuse. They already exist, but they're expensive. They're not going to do this for free, right? So we have to pay for those, those beds and those bed spaces. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, that we can do this. We did it. Remember when they, we had an ice epidemic? It was really bad. The, when I was in the legislature, we put a lot of money into treatment beds. Kinamauka, Sand Island Treatment, uh, Po'ailani. There's a lot of treatment facilities out there that if given the resources, they could do really, really good work. And they have done good work. I've seen it for myself. It works. We need to fund it and make sure it's done. And again, this is federal dollars that we're using from the American Rescue Plan. It's the perfect use of this money. And just to clarify a little bit about some of that funding, you know, you've mentioned a few proposals that you are putting forth in terms of uh, direct budgetary um, you know, surp not surplus, but direct budgetary um, allocations, if you will. Uh, what does that process look like? These, this is just in your proposal right now. Is this what you are going to be presenting to the council or through uh, the the budget? What is that stage, and how does that process look like to get some of the money that you are talking about uh, directly into the, some of these programs? So the city council is currently going through our budget process. We do an annual budget. It's every year, as opposed to what the legislature does, a, a, a two-year budget. We do a budget every year. And we're, we're about two-thirds of the way through the process. And the council is debating how to spend your, your, your taxpayer dollars. And we're about to get a tranche of approximately $186 million dollars additional federal funds in the American Rescue Plan funds. And I'm proposing to my colleagues that we spend this money on homelessness, affordable housing, and Red Hill. Um, so it's not a done deal yet. I need to, to get the support of my council members. And I'm very, very hopeful that they will see these problems as they are, which is urgent and necessary. And again, it's not costing our local taxpayers any money. I guess indirectly it is because we all pay federal taxes. But this is our share of a multi-trillion dollar bill, actually, from the federal government. And the city and county of Honolulu will receive almost $400 million. $200 million or half of it should be coming in the next couple months. And that's what I'm proposing to do is using that money for the problems that we all see every day right? Um, clean water, 
and our homelessness problem. And then there's the affordable housing um, component that I, I'd like to talk about if we have a few minutes. Please do. Yes, we'd love to hear your plans for that. So also with, within the uh, American Rescue Plan, I'm proposing that we spend $60 million, 60, six zero, to build places for people to live who earn 60% of the area median income, right? 60% of the area median income means for a family of four that earns $72,000 a year. We need to build places for these folks to live, right? These folks are on the verge uh, of being homeless themselves and, um, and live paycheck to paycheck. And we need to make sure they have a place to live. So the idea is to build for those folks. Now, just, just uh, for your, your viewers' um, information, the, the, the Department of Housing and Urban Development defines affordable as 120% of the uh, uh, area median income. Actually, I believe it might be 140%, which is, you know, making about $140,000 plus a year. And that's simply not not going to work for local people, right? Very few people make that kind of money. And the idea is to leverage these federal dollars to help developers who are willing to build affordable housing. Um, I want to follow up also in the time since we last spoken, uh, the mayor gave his state of the city address and proposed changing the rail route and ending at Holly Kawila and South Street, uh, at least for now. There are um, you know, some folks say it will eventually get to Ala Moana and perhaps even all the way to the University of Hawaii, but for now, at least ending uh, at what they're calling, I believe, Civic Center. What are your thoughts on uh, on that new plan for the rail route? Well, the fact of the matter is we only have approximately $9.5 billion to build rail. It's as simple as that. That's the budget, $9.5 billion. I'm still waiting for a recovery plan from Hart and, and from the executive director to explain to us exactly how they want to spend that $9.5 billion, right? I guess what the mayor is saying is that we're going to go as far as we can with $9.5 billion, which is fine. I think that's prudent and that's reasonable. However, what I'm looking forward to is to find where we could save money where we could um, um, make that dollar go longer and farther so that we can actually get to Ala Moana. There's a contract that the city signed with the federal government saying 20 stops, 20 miles, all the way to Ala Moana. That's a contract. So I haven't heard anything definitive from the FDA myself saying that they're going to agree to go short of Ala Moana. So it's really important for us to get that, that recovery plan as soon as possible from heart so that the council can make those tough decisions. But again, the idea really is from, from previous councils and previous legislators, they approve the money, right? From the city standpoint, our skin in the game is $26 million a year, totaling 216 million, I believe. And I promised to my, my constituents and my voters that I wasn't going to raise property taxes to do that. And I'm not going to do that. We're going to stick to that $216 million that my predecessor committed us to. Um, 
but we need to spend it wisely, right? I want to know exactly what we're going to be spending that money on. My understanding is that they may try to, to take out a park and ride or they may try to take one or two stations out to save money. And, and that's fine. But we need to see that in writing before we make any decision going forward. But ultimately, I believe, as most people do, we need to get to UH and we need to finish it, right? Any project half done is not a project well done, right? Uh and just to quickly follow up, I want to just get your thoughts on the job that Lori Kahikina has been doing in your relationship, your thoughts and views on her leadership during this time as someone who has just kind of taken over as interim and now is the director. Uh, how has your working relationship been with her and Hart overall through this process? Well, we worked together when she was the ENV chair or director here in the city, and she was able to do that sewage project from Kailua to Kaneohe on budget and on time. And that was really impressed impressive to me and and i have all the confidence in the world that she can get it done i only say i wish she would communicate a little bit better with the council and 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 with the people out there the taxpayers just to let us know where 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 what the plan is right this recovery plan is due my understanding is that it's due to the fta at the end of june it's already the end of april and I haven't seen the plan yet. That That's really concerning to me. And uh, I understand that they're still looking at the numbers and trying to figure this out and they're doing their best. But time is of the essence. I, I don't want this to land on the city council's desk at the last minute. And then we're forced to make hasty decisions. That's the last thing that we want to do. We're getting some questions in the comments about your own political futures. Uh, there is uh, some rumblings that Kai Kahele could uh, leave his seat in Congress and run for governor, in the meantime, leaving CD2 open. What are your plans? Uh, would you consider a run for that seat? And uh, yeah, just tell us your thoughts on that. Well, think about this, folks. We've had four different representatives in Congress in CD2, the Congressional District 2, in the last 20 years, four different Congress men and women. In CD1, there's been five. It's all about seniority in Washington, D.C. It's all about experience. And the next congressman or woman should, could, should commit to staying there for the next 20 years, like Neil Abercrombie did. You can only get things done if you've been there building relationships and, and work and live in Washington, D.C. That's a big decision to make, right, to move from Hawaii to Washington, D.C. I am seriously concerned because I think it's important to fill that seat with somebody who's willing to make that commitment, who, with someone who's willing to stay there and not use this as a stepping stone to other offices or political offices, someone who's just going to be committed to representing Hawaii Ne. Um, again, that's a big decision to, to make, and I am weighing that decision, but you folks will be amongst the first to know if I do, in fact, decide to do it. And do you think a lot of that would obviously weigh on what Congressman Kahele decides to do, or could you see yourself jumping in regardless? <laughs> Again, I've been I've been giving this a lot of thought, and I'll let you folks know one way or the other in a very short amount of time. 
That's an interesting, that is an interesting question, Ryan. I, I like this, uh, I like this line of questioning because, you know, when we've been talking about this with uh, different folks who, you know, sort of dipping their toe in this water, uh, the idea that someone would actually challenge the sitting congressman hasn't really come up, but, but I do want to follow on that. I mean, if you are interested in this seat, uh, should it really matter whether he steps down or not? Yeah, good question. I mean, my understanding is that Congressman Kahele is going to come home. And I believe he's going to make that announcement shortly. But I, of course, I can't speak for him. But I'd like to uh, wait and see, at least for another week or so. Um, but again, you know, this is such an important decision. It's such an important decision because you're going to be away from your family and your friends in Hawaii. And whoever does this, has to take that into account. We can't have a one or two term person there. We need somebody who's gonna stay there for 20 years or more in order to get the job done. We all know it, it's, again, it's based on seniority and, and building relationships in Washington, DC. And this is a decision that should not be taken lightly, whoever decides to do that, including myself. Um, you know, my kids are a little bit older so, so that, that makes a huge difference. My daughter is a junior in high school and wants to go to school on the mainland. So that, that definitely weighs into my decision there. But ultimately, again, whoever decides to do this really, really needs to take this decision um, um, to heart and, and decide that they are going to represent Hawaii in Congress for the next 20 plus years. Well, unfortunately, we are all out of time, but when you are ready to make a decision either way, uh, we certainly would like to uh, speak to you then as well. So look forward to future conversations uh, about that, as well as uh, getting an update about where we're at with the city uh, and city council, because obviously there are a number of issues that we covered today, and uh, we certainly appreciate an update on all the things that you discussed today. Aloha and hui ho. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Take you care. so much. Well, great to hear from him. And if you missed the top of the broadcast, we spent a lot of time talking about Red Hill and what he thinks should be done to mitigate some of the water shortage issues that we will be facing this summer and beyond. He's proposing $25 million to dig for new wells. He also says that the federal government should be on the hook for uh, the expansion projects that are probably due in line if the Halava shaft stays closed. And uh, also talked about the fact that these lines have, you know, the tanks have not yet been drained and his concerns about that fuel still sitting there above our water resource. Uh, he said that there could be interest in, uh, from the city council in leveraging the existing leases that we have with the federal government, but also wanting to be very careful because, of course, the federal government is a huge source of funding for the city and not wanting to poison that relationship either. Yeah, and you really could hear his frustration with just the process of where we're at. I mean, obviously, there has been some movement and decisions made by the Navy in favor of shutting down Red Hill and this defueling, but just not uh, really, he believes, needs to be done a lot quicker uh, and really taking the efforts and allocating that money that is coming from the federal government to begin looking for additional sources, uh, water sources, really making it a priority. Uh, not only with Red Hill, but also talking about how he wants to also allocate money towards homelessness and programs directly towards getting people off the street and as well as providing more affordable housing, as well as bed space for homelessness and treatment centers uh, that will be included in his proposed budget uh, moving forward for the council. 
Yeah, I mean, he's talking about putting tens of millions of dollars into building affordable housing for people earning 60% of the median income. That would give a lot more access to housing for people who really have not had it up until this point. He sees uh, all that American rescue money as an opportunity to really change the landscape when it comes to helping people who are in the lower income bracket attain home ownership and also helping to move some of the folks with more serious substance abuse issues out of those circumstances by creating more bed space with really uh, what he was calling, you know, treatment opportunities, as opposed to just giving them a temporary shelter for one night, but really giving them um, some substance abuse treatment. Of course, that is welcome news to a lot of folks who are very concerned about the homeless issue. He did speak highly of CORE, but says that it's just one piece of the puzzle, that it is not enough to solve our homeless issue. And of course, uh, he's not alone in that assessment. Interesting to hear his thoughts on rail as well, and his relationship with the uh, current director of that pro program. Yeah, we also talked about Bill 41. Uh, so a number of issues that were discussed this morning. If you miss any part of the broadcast, we encourage you to go back and watch it. There will also be a rebroadcast uh, this evening and tomorrow on KKI, as well as you can find this as a podcast. We're available for uh, an update and a recap of everything we discussed this morning because we did get to a variety of topics, including uh, his political future and what lies ahead for uh, the council chair. Yeah, that was very interesting. And Ryan, I honestly had not heard you phrase that question in that way and hadn't even thought that there could be challengers uh, to Congressman Kahele. Uh, but that is, of course, a possibility. Uh, we are going to be talking uh, with the sitting congressman later on this month or in May. And we look forward to that conversation to talk about his ambitions and also some of the criticism that he's been getting for doing all this proxy voting from home. Uh, his office has said that he is reconnecting with constituents here in the islands, um, but there have been a lot of speculation about whether or not he's actually running for governor. So we'll talk about that with him and then revisit the whole idea of who would run for CD2, whether or not he resigns that seat. So interesting there. Uh, we are focused on candidates for the rest of this week for a number of different positions. On Wednesday, we'll be talking to Lynn Mariano and Paul Morgan. They are both candidates for governor uh, running on the Republican side. We'll be interested to talk to them. And then on Friday, we'll be catching up with Sherry Menor McNamara. She is running for lieutenant governor. Yeah, a lot to discuss in what could be a crazy political season as we <laughs> head to the home stretch here with so many races that uh, are now up for grabs. Uh, looking forward to those conversations and we hope you'll join us back here on Wednesday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, take care. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long Drugs.